Good evening. This is the Drunken UX Podcast. The Drunken UX Podcast is brought to you by our friends at GasMarkade at GasMarkade.com. I am your host, Michael Feenan. And I'm Aaron Hill. Thanks for tuning in this week. Um, you can find us on the internets on Facebook and Twitter slash DrunkenUX. This evening, I am uh, going to be enjoying a fine Apothic Inferno red wine. I actually really enjoy this wine. It's uh, aged in whiskey barrels for <laughs> 60 days, and it is just delicious. Uh, I'm not a huge that. wine guy, but... I tell you what, I'm starting the show about half a bottle in, so, uh, <laughs> y'all, this is going to be a show. I've got some Seagrams that I'm drinking, that's all I got, it's been tons of snow this weekend, so no trips this week. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, no, we uh, we just got the snow here as well, so um, they've canceled school, they've battened down the hatches, they're sending people home from work, it's, uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting time in these parts, that's for sure. I, I don't know about uh, on your side, but... Um, I've also been sick, so I apologize to anybody Same. if I'm a little bit raspy. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just have to edit out the coughs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I'm over that part of it. Um, we'll, we'll see how the wine does uh, to kind of keep the vocal cords nice and loose. What are we talking about this week? Yeah, tonight is going to be, I guess I say, I keep saying tonight because people are listening live, right? Yeah. Uh, we're recording this in the evening. Um, we are going to be talking about e-commerce. Uh, I think specifically we've got two sort of aspects of this. E-com is, of course, a huge topic, um, and we wanted to kind of grind this down into a couple things you can look at. Specifically, we're going to be looking at the sorting and filtering of products. I know that's really granular, but it's something that I find extremely irritating, and so we're going to talk about it. And then... Uh, what was the other half of this? Um, I don't have my notes up in front of me now, right? Oh, yeah, the checkout forms. Talking about the checkout forms. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I remember now. Give me a break. Half a bottle in. <laughs> uh, we've got 40 minutes of show here to go through. It's going to get rough. It, there's a, an article that just came out because, of course, we just had Black Friday. I say just, what, a month mm. ago. So we, we come through this time of year where everybody is shopping online. Um, it was CNBC. They put out that we were spending a billion dollars oh a day what? shopping online but think about how many products u.s dollars u.s dollars a wow. billion dollars this is everything from you know coloring books to irons to miniaturized armored personnel carriers i mean <laughs> tactical miniaturized armored personnel carriers <laughs> the sheer volume of stuff that people order online is of course you know it's it's big it's growing this is not news to anybody at this point um hell my amazon account and i'm not kidding i'm not kidding anybody out here i i've screenshotted it before on, on twitter my twitter account is or uh, i'm sorry amazon account is now old enough to vote <laughs> it's not voting though right no, 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 last okay. time I checked. Um, now, I, I think it may have submitted a, uh, a comment to the FCC on net neutrality on my behalf, though. I don't know. I, it's out of my hands. And my Newegg account is almost that old. I think it's about 16 years old. Amazon, I signed up in 2000. So, I think my Newegg is about 14 years old, uh, 12 to 14 years old. Not sure about Amazon. Not as old as yours. You're you're OG, OG <laughs> Amazon right there. <laughs> I, I was looking for those uh, those college textbook deals way back in the day. God, what was Amazon even like then? Eighteen years uh, ago. They do have it in archive.org. It's worth going and looking at. Um, you know, they were very book focused back yeah, in those books, days. Right. Yeah. Uh, there's stuff that will look familiar, and there's stuff that looks very not familiar. But it's it's definitely a, a fun trip, uh, especially having grown up sort of with that site, basically, and, and seeing all that change. I think I was getting all my books through Half.com back then, although I guess Amazon purchased Half.com, right? Didn't they? Oh, it, it, yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But, I mean, it does go to show, though, you know, online shopping and the amount of money we spend, it's – convenience is a part of it, yes. But – a big thing, and part of why Amazon has been so successful is because they also bring a lot of selection and access that we simply don't have online. Mm -hmm. If I want – there was a, a podcast recently. I think it was uh, Planet Money. I mm. hope it was Planet Money if my memory is right. <laughs> that did an episode on Starberry shoes. Starberry shoes are incredible. 
They're high quality, they're they're well made, they're stylish, they're nice looking, and they're fifteen freaking dollars. And if they want to sponsor us, there's details at the end of the show. <laughs> I've been trying to buy a pair and they've been sold out for the last three months. But I can't go to JCPenney and buy a pair of Starbury. I can't even go to JCPenney and get a pair of Converse half the time. Um, or, you know, I could, but they're like, they have one style of a shoe that has 30. Mm-hmm. That's part of why online shopping has been so successful of late. Yeah. But even with all of this growth, and I think this is what kind of inspired this topic to come so early in, in the podcast series, is we have all of this growth, but according to the Baymart Institute, shopping cart rates have an abandonment rate of 69%. Oh, Wow. I mean, is that from, like, window shopping or, like, what? Yes. Why so high? Okay. <laughs> yes, it's, it is all of those things. Uh, and they do have a caveat in the research. And the research will be linked as well as tons of other stuff that we will talk about tonight. Mm-hmm. It will all be in the show notes. So if you're wondering about any of this, please go drop by the site. Look in your podcast uh, listen app thing. Um, we'll have links to all of this stuff. But, uh, yeah. A lot of people do window shop, and there is sort of a built-in component into abandonment that cannot be resolved through any kind of change you make or anything like right. that. Because we we do a lot of research. We do a lot of price comparisons between stores, and abandonment yeah. is going to happen. But they also found a lot of it that is tied to things that we very much can affect. Do you know if that includes abandonment where uh, – you know, sometimes I go on Amazon and I'll – put stuff in my shopping cart and I'll be like, you know what? Like, I don't want to order this right now. I put it on my wish list to save for later. Does that, does that still count? That, at least the way I had read the research, no. Um, okay. They are strictly counting. I put stuff in my cart and then I didn't buy it. Okay. So, gone. Sasha Cookie dies. Return rate is a different story. And that's something, um, we can talk about it uh, in the later part of the show that, I've had trouble with websites that do exactly that where I will leave with the idea that I'm going to come back and they don't have my cart saved. Yeah. And and even with sites that I have an account on, that is like that that drives me insane. There's some there's some technical considerations there. I, I mean, you know, with like the the storing your your cart across computers or over a certain amount of time, but yeah, I can with a small reason amount of time, same computer, they should have it. Shopping carts will come later. To start with, I want to talk a little bit about product sorting. Yes. We're going to focus, I think, largely on, uh, unfortunately, Amazon and Newegg because they're mm-hmm. so big that they won't listen to us and they won't come after us for picking on them on this. And we both but, shop at them a bunch despite the bad sorting. <laughs> we, yeah, we, we still buy our stuff there so they get our money either way. Stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. Step one to purchasing anything online is finding it, right? Mm-hmm. We have to find the thing that we want. Sometimes we know exactly what that is. Sometimes we know what we need, but not, you know, which model mm-hmm. or which brand or anything like that. And so right. we use sorting in many different forms to figure that out and to winnow down those lists to say, okay, I want to at least compare these two items and see, you know, which one do I like more, So right? when we're talking about sorting, we're including, like, filtering, like, where you're staying, like, well, I want shoes. Oh, but I want tennis shoes. Oh, but I want tennis shoes that are for men with so this size. We're including that, right? There is a case where filtering is confused with uh, sorting. Okay. And that, to me, gets into, like, the featured item discussion. Okay. okay. But... I think we want to look at very specifically sorting. Okay. Um, so just like ranking result sets, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Got it. Because everybody has categories, right? If mm-hmm. I know I need a Sony TV, I don't need to sort to find the Sony TV. Right. Uh, I'm going to click Sony or I'm going to you – know, and Newegg is great about this, right? If yes. you're hunting for a hard drive and you want to stay away from you know Hitachi drives, mm-hmm. you can click on Seagate and just right. get the Seagate drives. Right. That's – very very easy you know if i go to let's let's say you know when you go to home depot i need a doorknob mm-hmm. what kind of doorknob how do i find what doorknob i you know i'm i'm not <laughs> am, am i really beholden to quick set on this deal you know i'm Squash. i don't think i have brand loyalty in doorknobs i just know i need a silver one that has a handle and isn't gonna fall off my door 
<laughs> is there a category for the ones that do fall off your door? Uh, maybe. <laughs> I've seen I, I've been to theater shows where that is a requirement, so I guess there is a market for it, if nothing else. Actually, yeah, it's a good point. <laughs> I want a window that breaks easily. <laughs> Some sorts make plenty of sense though, right? When uh, easily the one I use the most is pricing, right? Either mm. high to low or low to high. Um Sometimes yeah. I want to go high to low because I want to see what the price range is on something I'm looking at, if nothing yeah. else. Sure. Uh, sometimes I just need the cheapest thing I can get my hands on. <laughs> yeah, but then if you do, when you do cheapest, they always like lump together all these other accessory items. Like, you know, you, you get like the, you want a doorknob, like the fixture, but then you also get like, oh, well, here's keys, or here's like the hinges for the door, or like here's the ornaments for it, or whatever. Unrelated and- stuff that's not what you want. And this is where sorting falls apart for a site that doesn't keep its categorization right. Mm -hmm. If I'm searching for doorknobs, I don't expect to get door stops, for instance. Mm. Uh, Right. Or you look at somebody like Amazon, you know, the big retailers. Amazon, Walmart has this problem. Home Depot has this problem. Mm -hmm. Most sites that involve third-party resellers have this problem where – People will put things into categories, but nobody is making sure that it's in the right category. You know, cell phone accessories. Oh, my God. That's just a painful experience. I want to find just a cheap case. I want to find a phone condom that, you know, does its job. It is a Mm -hmm. plastic, you know, thing on on my phone. Um, And you go and sort that, and you end up getting, like, these 50-cent, like, key fobs and... Yeah, actually, I had that exact experience. I I got a Google Pixel 2 uh, a month, two months ago, um, switching back to Android. And um, I picked up a, what is it, Incipio something or other. It's real sweet. It's like 15 bucks or something. But I was was sorting by price, low to high, and then the first two or three pages was all not the phone condoms, but like the other random crap that I did not care about but was, you know, 50 cents or a dollar or two dollars. Yeah. So, lesson number one. Retailers, come on. If you're sorting by price, make sure that your categories are clean. Yeah. <laughs> because that really. that is the quickest way, and this is true for any sort, really, but when you sort something, price is a very defined metric. If I say I'm looking for doorknobs and I want to see the cheapest doorknobs, when I sort that, I expect as a user to see the cheapest doorknob. Yeah. I don't expect to see anything that is not a doorknob. Yeah. Like when you're going to the store and you're looking on the shelf and you're in the doorknob aisle of Lowe's or Home Depot and you're looking at doorknobs, you would want to be able to hit like a magic button that would just reshuffle them all on the shelf in order of price left to right. Right. That's and it's it. going to stop before it gets to the hinges or yeah. the keys that are on mm-hmm. either side of those doorknobs. Yes, yeah. they are They are doorknob adjacent. I give yes. you that credit. But they are not doorknobs. <laughs> okay, that's been a weird uh, example. Let's, uh, let's not talk about doorknobs for the rest of this show. <laughs> the, the funny part is I have a doorknob sitting in the console of my pickup truck right now. Why? And this is why I think this I this example is sticking in my head because I'm building a studio in my basement oh, right. that is going to be for all of this fun recording endeavor stuff. And I had a friend who was able to get me a door. He had some doors from construction work. Um, and so he got me this door, and we dug through bu- buckets to find doorknobs, and he found the doorknob, <laughs> but it was separate. So I've just... I have the separate doorknob. Huh. Uh, but I was searching. I'd gone on Amazon to look at doorknobs and to price them out. And I had that exact problem. I would sort the doorknobs, and I had to go three pages in before I got to doorknobs. And it, it's def- it definitely affects us outside of the doorknob world as well. I've, I've encountered that same problem with pretty much everything in e-commerce. Yeah. And yeah. Amazon, like I say, Amazon, I think, is the worst possible one for it because mm-hmm. they just have so much stuff everything a to z right so which what's one that doesn't work right so if, if pricing is one that makes at least sense and and works relatively you know more than not when i start thinking about alphabetical sorts i want to know aaron now your name starts with an a so <laughs> two, we're gonna start with a, you on this call two a's two a's so you you are at the top of the list uh you are however you are behind Aardvark. I'm sorry. 
but what was the last purchasing decision that you made that was dependent upon the first letter of a product name? I think, uh... Outside of purchasing the letters to go on the sign on the outside of your house. <laughs> right. Or the address, you know, on your yeah. mailbox. I, I think the only reason I think I would use it is if they didn't have the ability to sort by brand and I knew specifically that I wanted a particular brand. Like, I like, you know, if I wanted a Samsung TV or, or whatever... I would sort alphabetically and then jump to there. But that shouldn't happen because there should already be a thing where I can search filter by brand. Right. You know? Anybody that sells TVs is already going to have a category filter. Yes. You go to Walmart, you go to Amazon, you go to yeah. Newegg, you go to Best Buy. All of them have those category filters the, that just say, I want this brand. Click the, done. Sorting alphabetically is one of those things like, you know, all we could think of, the developers were thinking, well... All we thought about was if we could. We never thought about if we should. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. that's a, an absolutely perfect example. Yeah. It makes sense because we can, and it's easy. Mm -hmm. Sorting things alphabetically is one of the absolute most primitive and basic concepts we have in a sorting algorithm. So, of yeah. course, it makes sense to throw it there. Yeah. But as an online retailer, when have I don't know that I have ever consciously used an alphabetical sort to I, purchase something. Yeah, me neither. I don't know why it's there. I don't know why it's an option. And a lot of these are going to fall into the realm of, I want to see analytics. I want to see somebody. And in all of the articles we'll, we'll reference and we'll link in the show notes, I didn't see any that really looked at how many people are actively, like if who uses an alphabetical sort and mm -hmm. then purchases an item that directly stems from that oh, sort. I would love to see that. I would love to see that data. I don't think anybody has it, though. I think the only time alphabetical sorting makes sense is when you don't have the ability to sort digitally by any other means. Like, when you're at a library, alphabetical sorting is great because it helps you find that book you're looking for much faster. But right. when you're dealing with a website or with the card catalog in the library, you don't want to see all the books on the library website in alphabetical order because you don't need to. Well, and that's a, it's a really good example of thinking about libraries because if I am looking for a book in the G's, let's say, I can walk into that room and go to those bookshelves and see if I walk, you know, three shelves over, I'm mm -hmm. going to pass a thousand books and get to the G's and it's going to take me 10 seconds. Yeah. How long does it take you to click through 40 pages of products, <laughs> even if you're skipping pages? Yeah. Waiting on page loads and having to completely guess at when you're going to hit those G's in that sort. I, I would like to put out a challenge to our listeners. Give us an example of a, of a website where you would want to sort alphabetically because that would make more sense than any other means. Seriously, I, I want to hear I it. like it. I want to know. <laughs> Answer Aaron. That's, that's the, that'll be the name of one of our segments is Answer Aaron. He, he will pose questions to you and make you, make you uh, answer them. <laughs> so the other one, and it's, it means well. It means really well is customer reviews, sorting by mm. customer reviews. Yeah. Um, and some sites do do this very well. I like there, that. There are plenty of sites that when you sort and you want high, highly reviewed things, mm -hmm. it makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Amazon is not one of these sites. <laughs> the, if you have shopped on there enough I sort stuff because I'm trying to find the best you know I need the best pair of silicon kitchen tongs because you do you yeah. don't want to get a cheap Chinese pair that falls apart you know three uses in in your head it makes sense a 5.0 rated item should be ranked higher than a 4.8 ranked item but what happens whether and this happens on Amazon it happens on Newegg that if a product has one rating or two ratings that are 5.0, that puts them ahead of the 4.8 item that has 437 reviews. Yes. So this, I actually watched a, a game developer conference talk uh, on Friday about, it was a three statistical tricks that every developer should know that are easy to learn in 30 minutes. And I think the third one, it dealt specifically with when you have rating distributions that are a lot on the top end and a lot on the bottom end, such as you see with reviews, people are sort of like, they'll give a five stars or sometimes four or one. You rarely ever see two or three. You'll see some, but not a lot. 
And I think the I think the statistical test was called the the Man Whitney or maybe Whitney dash Man. This one it it accounts for the uh, the quantity and it sort of normalizes the distribution down better. I'll I'll find a link and I put it in the doobly doo. But um, yeah, that's so annoying. <laughs> it happens to me every time I go to New. And Bank. we see this a lot with Ivanka Trump's new book is is a prime example of a product too that when we're talking about waiting and and figuring out you know what the value of something is in terms of, of people's mm. opinion her book of course when it was coming out got slammed with thousands of one star reviews by people who had never read the book and i don't i don't <laughs> right. care if you like her or don't like her yeah that is no reflection on her ability to produce a quality book it could be a yeah, great it's unhelpful book. Your one-star reviews are both unhelpful and badly weighted. And somebody mm -hmm. like Amazon, for all of the research, all of the stories you can go pull up about the money Amazon spends, you know, doing user research and checking, you know, is this button two pixels too far to one side and, and whatnot. <laughs> how have they not solved this problem in a way that keeps well-reviewed items floating towards the top, poorly reviewed or lowly whether it's a high review score, but low numbers. It, it, this seems like a waiting statistical problem that how can they not have solved yeah. this? Why, why don't they wait? Maybe they do, and I just didn't know this, but like, why wouldn't they wait reviews by people who actually order the product from Amazon higher than those that people that didn't buy it? You would think that if you give a one-star review and it's somebody that didn't buy the product, then, like, why is that being counted? They do the deal, you know, where they say verified purchaser or whatever, verified purchase. Oh, that's true. But it just, yeah, I don't know right. if that accounts for anything other than a label at this point. And mm -hmm. they'll never say. They won't yeah. They won't tell you, you know, how they factor any of that in. But review sorting is just, it, it's super weird. Um, and it gets in mm -hmm. what Newegg has done, and I still don't entirely know what this amounts to, but... They have, like, the most reviewed sort, and then they have the best-selling mm -hmm. sort. Doesn't best-selling just mean they've sold a lot of it? Yeah, I mean, it, so... it makes sense in my head, but if it's also the most reviewed, yeah. doesn't that mean they sold a lot of it? Don't you have to sell a lot of it to be most reviewed? The Cards Against Humanity guys did a, a the Christmas thing a few years ago was they you ordered a package that contained um, bull feces. I got it. It was literally just that. I, I had it. Yep. <laughs> of course you did. I was one of the guys. <laughs> so, I mean, that that would be a really well-selling product, but I can't imagine that if you were to review it, the reviews are probably going to be mixed because it, there's probably, I think there were some people that thought they were getting something else, even though the FAQ said clearly they weren't. <laughs> and I can get, especially like the best-selling piece, I can see where that is a valuable sort. Mm -hmm. But then the most reviewed piece of it, you know, what if it's just a super bad item? I don't want that at the top of anything. Mm -hmm. I don't care. I don't want to buy something that, you know, a thousand people were dumb enough to get and found yeah. out was garbage. I, You know, the first thing I do when I really look at reviews, especially on both Newegg and Amazon, is I find the product that has a reasonably high review average with a lot of reviews. And then I look at those and they immediately go to the one stars. And I'm like, if I can tell from these bad experiences... If I can deal with whatever their situation was or whatever the problem was and it seems like something I'm okay with or if their situation doesn't match mine, I'm good. And it makes sense, you know, from a consumer standpoint and to be able to say, yes, I'm a well-informed buyer. I make my own decisions. I look at my research. But you never – I learned something in debate. When I was in high school, one mm -hmm. of the tenets of debate that we learned was you never let a judge think for themselves. You, you don't ask them to vote for you. You tell them to vote for you. You explain right. why you are going to do what I want you to do. And e-commerce to me is very much like that. Yes, I will hmm. make my own decision and I will make an informed decision. But if I'm a retailer in the business of making money, my job should be to not let you think for yourself. My job should be to make yeah. you think you're thinking for yourself, but you're really just doing what I want down my funnel. I mean – that's that is the hard truth of that i don't disagree but like ugh. oh yeah no it's an, it's an ugly way to describe it but it is that is yeah. what marketing is at this point yeah okay i want to try to i want to knock out two more here and only right. because they so, kind of annoy me but featured items why is featured item a sort new oh, does this i hate those <laughs> first off 
is featured items yeah. not a filter? It's not a sort, right? How is one item more featured than another? Yeah, so like there's there's zero value to the customer here because it, like if you sort based on feature item or if they just force them to the top, all this says about the products are these brands have enough budgeted for advertising to pay us to be shown first. It doesn't say anything about the quality of the brand or anything, just that like these people want to be noticed, so we're showing you. But that doesn't help the customer. Right. And it's always the it's, default. It's zero value. That is always yeah. the default sort for the places that have that. And even when you drill, when you specify a more specific filter or sorting ranking scheme, it still shows the featured items at the top. Right. Oh. Mm-mm. Yeah. Yeah. Not Don't a fan like. of featured items. And I'm also not a fan of the newest or most recent items. <laughs> Partly because I don't know what that means. As a user, does I, that mean it's just the most recently added thing? Or is it like the most recently released thing? I'm going to guess that this is another one of those we could do it so we did because the newest most recent thing pattern is something that you would see a lot with um articles or content right. and that is useful in those cases because you get a lot of repeat visitors the database has a timestamp on that item and it makes it easy to just put it in and yeah. and filter down based on that i mean if they're assuming if if you had a product set or if you have a if your inventory is so limited in scope where but you you manage to still get a lot of repeat visitors where people are going to notice or care that, like, oh, there's a new thing here. Let's see what's the newest item. Um, I guess, like, maybe Apple products might fit because Apple has, within the domains that they produce, they have a pretty narrow scope of different kinds of things, but they have a very loyal fan base. And so maybe having what's the newest thing that we've produced because our visitors do actually come to our site frequently, maybe maybe in that case I could see that, sort of. But in any other case, though, especially in Amazon or a new way, or, or anything of else. which eBay, eBay would work. Nobody who listens to us is Apple <laughs> or Amazon. No, but that's a, that's a good example though. eBay is, I think, a yeah. good example where your product eBay's inventory okay. is very dependent on when stuff is added. Mm. That's a that's a good point. But but a normal shopping cart website where you're you're buying stuff. And yeah, I don't think eBay that, qualifies yeah. as a normal shopping experience <laughs> for a number of reasons. Yeah. That, re- that requires half a bottle of wine to really get into the nitty-gritty of that. <laughs> so anyway, that's, yeah. I think, the long yeah. and short of filtering. And I don't want to get into mm-hmm. it a whole lot because there there are a lot of ways it can be interpreted. And everybody's uh, experiences will be very different um, in terms mm-hmm. of what works for them, what doesn't work for them, what their customers expect. Uh, the refrain that will be repeated over and over is... Do your research and figure out what your people want, yeah. but don't do it just Definitely. because you installed WooCommerce and WooCommerce has a sort <laughs> that allows you to have newest. Come on. Anyway. Well, I think I think it goes back to the, the thing of, of if what does your user want? You know, like let's not do things that because we can or because we want to, but what would our user want when they visit the site? As you should do for anything you do on your website. Right. It it takes work. And it takes money, ultimately, because that takes time and effort and, and developer skills. But mm-hmm. if it makes you money, it is worth it. <laughs> At the end yes. of the day, if you make it easier for people to find products and you help them get into your cart faster, then it is mm-hmm. all worth it. And it is all measurable. So yes. at least you owe it to yourself and you owe it to your bottom line to at least look at why things are the way they are. So... After the break, we will be back with checkout processes, registration forms, and what really annoys us. <laughs> Customers of GasMark 8 enjoy free SSL certificates, sites that are served over HTTP2, and the experience of owners who designed a service around the needs of their customers. Listeners of the Drunken UX podcast can enjoy service for $10 a month. Just sign up at gasmark8.com slash drunk. That's gasmark, the number 8.com slash drunk. I was going to Walmart, as mm-hmm. I do. Uh, actually, not as frequently as I used to, but our Walmart was late to the game. I live in a small town, and we just got self-checkout. Now, this is a new thing for us. Okay. They they redid the whole interior of Walmart and they added in like six of these self-check type lanes. How often are they up? 
<laughs> I mean, they've, they have worked whenever I have gone in, which I admittedly okay, is infrequently, but Walmart, of course, has been on this game for a while. Home Depot has had it here for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah. saw a friend of mine on Facebook uh, had posted a video where they were at, uh, I think it was, uh, I want to say it was Wendy's, and they had like mm-hmm. a self, what? one of the self, yeah, order terminals inside. So Whoa. you go inside, you just walk up to the deal, you hit what you want, and they huh. they call your initials when your order is ready. I did that at a, a Sheets gas station one time. I think I was traveling, and it was kind of it was neat, but kind of yeah. weird. Well, <laughs> and the thing about them is, I mean, a I love them because I never have to wait in line. There's never a line for yeah. the self check because they can afford to pack a lot of them into a small space. They have to be simple, and they have to be absolutely and completely idiot proof. Our uh, Walmart neighborhood market has them. And it's the perfect example of the potential is there, but it isn't as idiot proof as it needs to be, especially when it comes to yeah. trying to like check out produce um, and having to yeah. stop and figure out how to look up what it is and make sure you're looking up the right. Or when you buy cold medicine that contains ephedrine, which requires ID Somebody checking. to come over, yeah. Or, I, yeah, I, I bought uh, compressed air to clean out a computer a uh, month ago and... I guess, like, Endust is a thing that people get high on? <laughs> well, the thing I was going to say earlier is that I, they don't they don't have to be 100% idiot-proof because you have to have a person there standing there to watch everybody to, A, make sure that people don't cheat, and then, B, to handle those things when age requirement or something is happening. But, but like, um, but I'm with, like, almost completely idiot-proof, yeah. What they are doing... And the drive for self-checkout and this whole process of making it really, really simple is they have to, right? Because to make it mm-hmm. self-service, you have to cater to that lowest common denominator or that system breaks down for you. And yeah. yet, online checkout processes are absolutely mm-hmm. laden with steps and processes that don't add anything to the experience. Many of the times you have to start by self-identifying. Are you a guest? Are you registered? Do you have an account? Whatever. You get to a subtotal. You're asked to enter any coupons or or any discount codes you have. You go to a page. You enter your shipping address. You go to another page. You select your payment type. Maybe you pick PayPal. Now you're getting shipped off to a third-party site where you have to do a login (laughs) again. Maybe get your key fob out. Then get kicked back to the original site, enter your billing address, review your order, and now you're done. Do, do you ever get the fear of missing out when you get to the coupon prompt and you don't have a coupon? And you're like, I want a coupon. Here's my friendly <laughs> advice to anybody f- that has that feeling. Get the Honey extension in Chrome. Oh, that, yeah. Yeah, it is it is absolutely worth its weight in gold. Um, so there's there's huh. my nickel's worth of free advice to everybody who's listening tonight. That That is worth it. We start very first. I said self-identify. Self-identifying mm-hmm. is one of the first things you end up doing in a checkout process where you say, I'm either – I have an account or I'm a guest or, God forbid, mm-hmm. you have to make an account. Yeah. This is – if you require me, Amazon <laughs> does this because Amazon can afford to do it. And you yeah. are not Amazon. Whoever is listening to this and is trying to get some ideas or think about how they can improve their conversion rates – you are not Amazon. Get it through your head. Stop requiring me <laughs> to sign up for an account just because I want to buy a drawer pull. I I, th- I saw one of the sources that we'll have like that did we do is um uh the twenty common UX mistakes in e-commerce websites. I think it was that one. Uh, anyways, one of them has a thing on it about how uh, imagine your e-commerce experience is like a brick and mortar one, and it says like. Michael, I'd like here. I have a thing. I'd like to give you money for the thing, and then you say like, "Okay, what year were you born? What? <laughs> uh, what year were you born? I don't care. I just want to buy the thing. Please take my money." Wasn't there a Seinfeld <laughs> episode about that? Probably. <laughs> I have the money. I will give you the money. Or no, uh, no, it wasn't Seinfeld. No, it was, was a comedian. It was Mitch Hedberg. Like, uh, no, I don't want a receipt for a donut. I gave you the money. You gave me the yeah, donut. Yeah, it, it's a simple transaction. transaction. We're done. Let's walk away. <laughs> <laughs> there's uh, there's some research. There's a lot of research. Let me rephrase that. E-Consultancy did some research. They found that people have a 26% abandonment rate. 
two thirds of a bottle of, of wine into this. <laughs> 26% of people abandoned their carts if they were asked to register an account before they could check out. And these are all cases of not Amazon. Right, right. These are like, really, like these yeah, folks researched normal. tons. Uh, in this case, uh, eConsultancy's uh, article researched like eight of the top ten retailers. Okay. Uh, Baymard's research spanned like years and a ton of – everybody – Stop what you're doing, pause the podcast, go to the show notes, yeah. read Baymard's research. It's incredible. Their their numbers showed 35% abandonment rate when people were asked to register for an account. This is losing you money. If you require somebody to sign up for an account and don't offer the ability to just check out as a guest. Um, and what I'm going to get into in a little bit is I don't think you should even ask somebody to register until they've already bought. Yeah, this should be something that's enriching their experience or their relationship with your brand and not something that you're – they're not a captive audience. They, they're not – don't get away the sale. <laughs> so we talk about Amazon and Newegg getting away with this because they're huge. Newegg has mm-hmm. an – maybe they don't have the electronics and, and computer market cornered, but they do. I mean, they yeah. they really have a stranglehold on that. Amazon, of course, is Amazon. And we said earlier, you aren't Amazon. You aren't Newegg. There's a quote that comes from uh, Justin uh, Rondeau. He's the director of optimization at Digital Marketer. He said, the bad news is these retailers aren't Amazon, and by requiring guest checkout are alienating their one-time buyers or people who simply don't want another darn login and password. There's yeah. some re- – or not research, but uh, there's an article from the folks at What Users Do. They went to 21 mm-hmm. UX experts and asked what the best and worst experiences in online checkout – or online uh, buying was. And four of the folks repeated the problem that is requiring registration. Yeah. I mean, another way to frame that would be uh, do you not want money from people who only want to buy from you once? Right. Like do you are you – are you so much against – single-time customers that you're saying, you know what, if you don't want to come back, I don't want your money at all. Keep it. I don't want it. Go somewhere else. Because that's basically what you're saying. The I think one of the absolute pinnacle stories of, of this model is um, what Jared Spool at UIE wrote. I mean, it was years ago. Mm-hmm. In, uh, was it Luca? Wrote, Luke, I'm sorry. You have a last name that is harder to remember and say than mine. <laughs> it's Rabluski, right? I, I, don't. <laughs> I can never... I can never remember, and I'm two-thirds of a bottle into Apothic Inferno. They are not sponsoring this episode, but I do enjoy their wine. At any rate, Jared Spool got invited to write uh, a story for his book. And he wrote the story of the $300 million button. Oh, okay. okay. This does not fit everybody's situation, but it certainly fits everybody to an extent that a company who was nameless came to UIE and said, we want to figure out how to get better conversions out of our shopping carts. What can you help us do? And so UIE came in. They did some research, and they found that this company was requiring people – not requiring, but when you went to your cart and you hit the checkout button, the the button Mm -hmm. that said checkout, you got a login prompt. And UIE researched it. They talked to users. They watched what people were doing, and they came back to this company, and they said – if you change the label on that, let's see what that does. When mm-hmm. they get that pop-up, don't have the register button there. Just say continue. Let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. This $25 billion company changed their button and on the year saw a $300 million increase in revenue. <laughs> it's insane. It's absolutely mind-blowing, but it makes perfect sense as well. Oh, totally. At that scale? If you yes, go back and absolutely. look at Baymard's research, 35% <clears throat> abandon rate. E-consultancy's research, 26% abandon rate. Whoever's listening, if you are in e-commerce, if you work for somebody who has a an online store, what would it mean to you if you were able to increase your online revenue by 26 to 35%? What if it was mm-hmm. 5%? How yeah. is that not worth all the research you're going to put into it, all the testing you're going to put into it to get even a modest ding mm-hmm. in that percentage number. Especially since the research has already been done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the work has been done for you on this problem. And that's – we're just yeah. relaying the anecdotes at this point. But 
literally every piece of research says do not require your users to register. That is a bad process. Or, or flip it around and reframe it as like, what are you, like, are your users being better served by being forced to register before they purchase something from you? Isn't that something you can do later? You know? And the argument always is that, well, I'm, I want to make sure that I can track all their orders and I can, you know, send them follow-ups and all of this. And that's part of why people don't want to do it. They literally Just state ask for the email address. Yeah, though. they literally state, yeah. "I don't want to get emails from the company after yeah. my purchase." Okay, wait. I have to make a really quick aside here. I signed up. I had a question about. Um, I have an Nvidia graphics card. And I had a question about it today, and I just went on to look in the forum, and you can't search on the forum or interact at all unless you've like logged in and registered. I go to sign up, and I'm like, "Oh, all right." So I registered and signed up, and it says there's a checkbox. It says opt in to communications from NVIDIA. And it's like, oh, it's not checked. That's nice of them. They're letting me opt in. So I go to hit next, and it's like, no, you must you must opt in. What? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, yeah. man. <laughs> this this voluntary action is mandatory. Yes. <laughs> and what we were saying a little bit ago, all of this factors in because it is true. Retailers do want to market to you. They do want to mm -hmm. get you into their email system. But here's the bottom yeah. line of that is I forget, and I wish I could remember who this was because it was the perfect example of this transaction, which they did not require me to sign up for an account. I bought something once. Mm -hmm. But I yeah. ultimately went back to them, and I bought from them two, three more times. At this point, you would expect me to remember who they are. I still don't. <laughs> I'm getting older. Give me a break. Mm -hmm. <laughs> On my last purchase, I went ahead and set up an account. When I signed up for my account and looked at my profile, all of my previous orders were there. Because you gave them an email address right. or something? When you yeah. make an order, Just as that. a retailer, you have all of the information you already need in order to both keep track of that user, to understand what they're doing. If you've got something like a mixed panel account, if Mixpanel is a an analytics service, it's like Google Analytics, except it actually gets down to like the individual level. It's able to track mm -hmm. people, not just aggregate numbers. Yeah, There's no yeah. reason you don't have everything you need without them setting up, up an account. And what you do is you incentivize them in order to get them to make that account at the end of the transaction. And then you can just tie it all together. Mm -hmm. And like in my the, – the experience I had – it's end, like magic. End of transaction. End of transaction meaning after after they have paid. Yeah, you give them the option of of signing right. up. It's just like if you've gone yeah. back to a store, you know, a dozen times, and they're like, "Oh, hey, yeah. Michael, how you doing?" Well, you know, I didn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't exactly. sign up for their special credit card or anything, but they just remember me because I've been in there a few times. Well, if you were if you went to a brick and mortar store and um, say you went to I don't know. You just went to Lowe's or, or any, like, random local hardware store or whatever, or fast food place, and you want to buy a taco or something. And they say, like, okay, well, we're about to take your money for the taco, but before we do, we need all this information from you first. I think that the point with especially the voluntary, like, hey, you've completed your transaction. Mm -hmm. If you want to, you know, follow up and keep track of your order um, or get a special mm -hmm. coupon, you know, register for an account. The, the thing yeah. about that is it also gives you an extremely valuable additional metric to measure on that mm -hmm. consumer. If they then take that extra step, now you have identified them as a much higher value type of client mm -hmm. than if you're forcing everybody to just blanket sign up for an account. Right. I think that's extremely valuable. A great example of this in brick and mortar world is um, there's a you know grocery stores. There's two that I shop at locally. Uh, Wegmans and Tops, and both of them have loyalty cards. And the loyalty card is an optional thing you can sign up for. You know, you just beep it; it's a little barcode. And if you do, then there are certain items in the store and certain sales and things that only apply if you've signed up. It's totally free to sign up. You have to give them contact information, and other things, and it also creates a thread of all your purchases that they data mine to suggest and offer you coupons for those things. I get maybe one mailer from Wegmans a month, if that. And the items that are in it are you 
the coupons at least are usually relevant to stuff that I actually buy. And the tops thing, they just print off coupons on the register. But in both cases, it's optional, but you get access to discounts on things that you wouldn't have otherwise. Um, and so it's incentivized. That, that's great. I, I was happy and to Is say. it a hard sell? Is it something that every time you go in, you're they, turning down? Or I guess that once you have it, no, it's No, no, they... No, you um, on the on the shelves they they list the price and then right below that it says like if you're a Tops member it's this price and sometimes the discounts are significant like fifty percent off and stuff so it's it's substantial there's a there's a good incentive for that and you can do it right at the point I, of sale you know you when you're checking out you get your card I haven't paid for a turkey in about four years at Thanksgiving <laughs> because of exactly. my local grocer and they have a very yeah, it's a similar type of program. I mean, it's not a hard sell type program as opposed Mm -hmm. to when you go to Sears and they're like, do you have your Mm -hmm. Sears credit card? Well, and because in their case, the the associates, I used to work at Sears, so caveat, the associates are incentivized (laughs) to hard sell those things. But it it is the, uh, you know, from a, you know, allegory standpoint, it's similar in terms of register your account. Have you registered your account? The end story, the end lesson to take away from this, if you can simplify your checkout process, you will make money. There is no simpler argument to make here at this point. Um, Think 360 Studio. They uh, put out an article that said that lengthy checkout is the worst mistake an e-commerce site can commit. And it it's Mm -hmm. a simple statement. It's one that you don't need research at this point to reinforce because it's all done. We know yep. the more you add to a form, every bit of UX research that's out there on forms will tell you the more you add to a form, the more your conversion rate drops. Yeah. There's there's no way around that. Don't put barriers in the way of people trying to give you money. There's a an article on UX Mag. Uh, they looked at uh, Charmandizing. I've never seen the site. I don't know what it is. It's what? a French e-commerce site. That's That's what I know. Okay. They switched their checkout process. They sell like pop music memorabilia and whatnot. Oh, okay. They okay. switched to a single page checkout process. Their per- their purchases increased by sixty seven percent by I streamlining <laughs> that process and getting it down to one page. How? Okay, so Baymard. I keep coming back to this, and I'm gonna reinforce. There, it's a good I think article. the actual like the the meat and potatoes of the research you do have to pay for. Fair warning, but a lot of it yeah. is available on their blog and we'll have a link to some of it as well. They, in their research, they showed that you can complete a sale. That is get everything you need payment wise, shipping wise in 12 form fields. That's, that's all you okay. need a dozen fields. That's, that's information beyond saying what things you yeah, want. Yeah. Buy. That's, that is the checkout process okay. at that point um, outside of the cart. Hmm. But they found that the average e-commerce site had 24 they had yeah. double the number of fields necessary to complete that transaction. So again, we go back to this idea. Every field you add to a, a form reduces your conversion rate. A really easy way that you could approach that is by simplifying your checkout. Like if you want that information, maybe those extra 12 fields are important or you know, important to you or to your boss. And uh, you know, do the simplified checkout form and then just have... You know, after they've done the the checkout, it's like, hey, you know, if you provide us this in additional information, we can offer you this. Yeah, don't don't get in um, the way of people yeah. giving you money. No, <laughs> shut up and take how money. is <laughs> how is this even something we have to argue and and point out to people that if somebody is willing to give you money for an item, why are you getting in the way of that? And I said before, if it it means increasing your sales by twenty five percent, twenty six percent, or five percent. Can you really afford yeah. to say that you would not be benefited by getting that? In my experience, it's the people who tend to think that they need to put all the things on their website because it's going to be like where people are going to go and just hang out. You know, like, let's put the weather on there. Let's put a chat feature. <laughs> Maybe we'll have a news feed from other people. You know, not our own news, other people. Do. One of the folks we've really crapped on Amazon and Newegg a bunch in this episode, but I, I think we do need to give one good example and of all the people. The, the one group of motherfuckers who comes out of this clean <laughs> is Cards Against Humanity. 
Honestly, I'm not at all surprised. They are so no bullshit except when they're literally selling except you when bullshit. they're actually selling you bullshit, which literally. I bought because they had no friction in their sales process. <laughs> sales so good, we literally. Sell they told bullshit. me they were going to sell me bullshit. They made it easy, and I bought bullshit. And as stupid as that allegory is, how accurate is it? Yeah. When yeah. you go to their checkout process and, and do this, for everybody who has listened this far and has made it to this point, after everything we've said, go to Cards Against Humanity's website. Go to it's store.cardsagainsthumanity.com. Add something to your cart and hit checkout. Go through the process. Don't pay for anything unless you want to, but just pay attention. When you go in, they're going to say, what's your shipping address? It's four fields. You give them your name, you give them your address. They have a secondary address field, which I would argue could actually be eliminated, but I get that a lot of people live in apartments, and they have a zip code. There is no field mm-hmm. for city, there is no field for state. <coughs> you enter your zip code, and they use, I don't know if they use Google's location API, if they're using the USPS, mm-hmm. but they do a lookup on that, and then let you confirm what you've entered. They mm-hmm. fill in the city. They fill in the state. You can fix it if it's wrong at that point. But they don't make yeah. you do it, and they just say, hey, is this right? You click the button. Yeah. You land on a page that says, okay, what's your credit card? What's your name? And what's your CVC? It is mm-hmm. as close to that 12-field minimum limit that Vaymard said that you need as I think I've ever seen a company get. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I did actually look up – I. When you shared me that research with me, I looked up on USPS, and it's pretty easy. You just register for their API, and then you can uh, um, do lookups. It's just over a web service. XML. Super simple. The the two pieces of this equation is the name field, and this is one I didn't get for my notes, but I promise our listeners I will go back, look up, and add to the notes once I find it. Have a full name field. Don't ask for first name, last name. There are a lot of reasons. Many of them are cultural. Many of them are logistical. But there are Mm -hmm. a lot of reasons to have just a name field. That eliminates one field right there. And zip code. The zip code literally gives you – it is the city and state. It is the encoded version of city and state. There's no reason to ask somebody Mm -hmm. for that if you're collecting the zip code. That's one thing that I just don't get on checkouts anymore, especially today. There is no Google gives you all of those tools to make sure you can convert yeah. that. Hell, Google gives you tools enough now you can have yeah. a text box. The location API include that they offer now, you can just start typing in your address and it will auto complete the whole thing as soon as it's confident. Oh, that's creepy. I, I don't know. <laughs> I feel a little weird. About well, that. I mean that's just using location databases. You know, I mean yeah. they have addresses, so there there's even I mean if you're tech savvy, there's even um JavaScript and, and browser things that you can tap into with HTML5 that will get location data based on your ISP. It's not accurate down to city. I, I would never trust yeah, it as, like a, I, as I, a retailer, though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could be anywhere. Uh, now, I guess the other thing, too, is that this, the uh, Cards Against Humanities four fields doesn't work for international people because you need a little bit more info. But um, that's pretty easily remedied, though. And if your main if your main market's the U.S., then you know stick with the simple. So these are just uh, two facets of an incredibly complex and multivariate interaction that users have with your yeah. site. Yeah, and I mean at the end of the day, read the research that we've linked to. But again, we we can't say this enough that always be sure to test your own assumptions, check your results, and make sure that things come out the way that you think they do, because everybody's audiences will be different and will react differently under different circumstances. So what is true in, you know, for everybody is not necessarily true, you know, down to your individual mm-hmm. use case. So it's worth it. Just like with autoplaying videos. Trust but verify. That'll be something we say a lot, I think, in this series, and I think it's a very <laughs> true statement to trust but verify. I, I want to give a really quick shout out that if you use Google Analytics, you can do funnel visualization to identify the attrition points and see where you're bleeding off your users yeah. on your uh, checkout process. You probably already know about it because it's been around for a while. But if you don't, it's super easy to use. There's some great videos on, online to do it. And yeah. whether And you can stuff. do it with goal funnels, like hard-coded goal funnels. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
the e-com uh, add-ons with Google Analytics all are incredible and add a lot of functionality yeah. onto that. And also let you value Definitely. each step as well so you can see how much money you're yeah. losing. Um, at, <laughs> at the end of the day, and I, I have already written this in the, uh, the little show excerpt, but you know, it's not that we're telling you how to make millions of dollars, but we're kind of telling you how to make millions of dollars here. <laughs> depends on your scale of your yeah, operation. I mean, <laughs> it depends, but, you know, yeah, look at it. Consider. <laughs> and if you're a user, you should send feedback to retailers when you get frustrated. You can do it over Twitter. You can do it over Facebook, whatever. Um complain I, I mean don't be silent if you're silent they're just gonna assume that you and everything yeah. okay and, and you know yeah okay amazon yeah. probably isn't gonna answer you but i no. had a problem recently with an order i had from a place i order coffee from and they were like oh mm-hmm. let's get that taken care of they sent me a free reorder of my coffee they didn't charge me anything for it they made it right it wasn't a problem with their <laughs> checkout or anything like that but it it's a, a case where a lot of companies, especially the smaller ones, very much listen to their social media. So if you've mm-hmm. had trouble with, you know, if you think their sorting is just screwed, if you were trying to check out and you just entered roadblock after roadblock, tell them. A lot of these cases, and uh, in, I think it was with the $300 million button story, actually, they make this comment that it's sometimes really hard to know you have a problem on this stuff. If you don't stop to think, what if we look at this? It's an unknown yeah. unknown in these uh, questions. Yeah. So take the time. Talk to people. Help the developers know that, hey, you're missing something because they may not even realize that there's a problem until you bring it up. Yeah. And if they had – maybe they did have suspicions, but the uh, their superiors weren't wanting to do anything about it. So if you provide them some user feedback, now they have, like, well, these people have complained about this issue that we've told you about six months but ago. be nice about it. this episode of the drunken ux podcast is brought to you by gas mark 8 look web hosting is not sexy it's just something that's kind of there you pay every month to the big hosting company that secretly owns all the smaller hosting companies and you get slow speeds oversold servers and terrible support but the reality is the couple extra seconds it takes for your website to load could mean lost customers or clients Less customers equals less money. Where do you go if you want super fast, reliable, and affordable web hosting and you don't really want to babysit a Linux server 24-7? Gasmark 8. Their hosting environment is built for speed and security. All SSD storage? Check. Blazing fast WordPress? Check. Free SSL certificates for all domains if you don't already have one? Check. Data centers on both US coasts, the UK, and mainland Europe? Yes, yes, yes. Gasmark 8 was started by an American, Mike Rachwalski, and a Brit, Adam Palin, two hired veterans who met at a conference and started a company making WordPress websites. As more clients complained about their web hosting, Mike and Adam thought over a couple of ciders at the pub that there's got to be a better way. So they built one, and now dozens of small businesses, developers, and nonprofits trust Gasmark 8 with hosting their websites. If you run a web development or creative agency, Gasmark 8 has a great reseller program you can use to upsell their fast and secure hosting to your clients. As a special for listeners of the Drunken UX podcast, Gasmark 8 is offering this limited time special. You can get all the features of their super fast platform for just $10 a month. Just go to gasmark8.com slash drunk to sign up. That's gasmark, the number eight, dot com slash drunk. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Drunken UX Podcast. We hope you found it helpful. Uh, Hopefully uh, you can take some of this. Be sure to read the articles. We've got tons of research that we linked on the uh, show notes page. That's at drunkenux.com. Tune in on the next episode. We'll be coming back in a couple weeks on uh, February 4th with our higher ed episode. I spent six years working for University Aaron. Um, I think you spent (laughs) a few more than me. Ten. Ten. Mm, I'm sorry. You have my condolences. <laughs> we have okay. <laughs> we have many many opinions on this topic. So yeah, I'm looking forward yeah, to this. <laughs> this will be uh, interesting to say the least. So be sure to tune in for that. That'll Definitely. be a fun time, though. Um, I don't know what we'll be drinking then, but we'll find something good. I think something something really good. We we'll got a special bottle for that one. And uh, be sure to check us out on Facebook and Twitter, both of them slash Drunken UX. And uh, if you haven't already, subscribe to us on Google Play. Um, if you like the podcasts, 
Are we going to get on iTunes? Uh, it is going to be on iTunes, hopefully before they hear this. Um, if it's not, uh, <laughs> there is a there is a post on the page, of course, or on the website uh, that has links to everything. We will have it on the homepage. Follow on Twitter and Facebook. We'll announce when it's on iTunes. I'm waiting. It is submitted. Is it, it is in review, so it will be available on iTunes. Is it because we say bad words? I saved my bad words for the end, but... Uh, no, Google didn't like us for the bad words. We had to fix that. But uh, iTunes is just waiting. So <laughs> Ab- Apple okay. Great. is not well, in a rush. Subscribe to us. Follow us. Interact with us. And please, please, I want to hear about your stories where alphabetical sorting <laughs> was useful for you. I'm serious. I really want to know. <laughs> Thank you Thanks, very everybody. much. See you next time.